This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about something going on in your life. Who knows, today we may get questions again about what's going on in this crazy world that we live in. Um, but um, all you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Um, Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else will be hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. It's Tuesday. don't have anything to announce or talk about, so I'm going to get right to a question. I've had quite a bit of response to um, the program yesterday and my thoughts on what's going on. Um, And in particular, one case, this one is from Debbie, and she is um, very courteously critical of me. So let me read her question. She said, Ron, I've listened to you for years and have been very impressed with your teaching. However, however, sir, never good. (laughs) However, are you saying God is not powerful enough to control who is elected president of the U.S.? President Trump was elected according to God's plan. If he'd wanted someone else, he would have successfully put them in that position despite anything happening in this nation or world. What a horrible thing to say. God is sovereign over sinners and believers, proven in the Bible over and over. What you said today is false teaching. Give God his glory. He's in charge. And it's signed by Debbie. Now, Debbie, my only um, criticism of your email... Um, is that that you said that I was guilty of false teaching. Now, I'm teaching out of 2 Peter chapter 2 Friday night. I, I did also the last time we were in 2 Peter a couple of weeks ago on Friday night. And, and if you read what happens to false teachers, um, boy, I, I, you need to be really careful before throwing those things out. That's the first thing. What I said is not false. It's true, and I'll share it with you today. Um, but but don't let your misunderstanding of what the Bible says to put you in a position where you're judging somebody else. And if you've been listening to me for years and you've been impressed with my teaching, I don't just suddenly go nuts and start being a false teacher. So, so uh, Debbie, that, that that's uh, harmful. It's a hurtful. Thing as well. Now, I'm certain that you're talking about Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 1. So I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to explain to you what it means. It says, everyone, this is Paul writing to the church at Rome, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. But Debbie, what... The authority that is talking about is not particular people there at all. It's simply the idea of authority. 
Uh, government is a good thing. Rules and laws are good things. We are ostensibly a nation of laws. We see that being whittled away at. But we're a nation of laws, and we're to obey those laws. We're to obey the governing authorities who have the responsibility for those. But this does not say, and I've heard people say this before, and it's a really, really poor exegesis, that this says that, well, if God wanted Trump for president, he's the president, so God put him there. But that's not what it says at all. This is simply, this. the Greek is clear. It is the idea of governing authorities, not the governors themselves. Now, I hope that makes sense to you. Because what follows here is really important. I'll bet, Debbie, that you would not have said the same thing about Barack Obama when he was in office. Or let me get real extreme. I bet you wouldn't have said the same thing about Adolf Hitler. Or about Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero was the emperor, the man over the whole world. When Paul and Peter also says the same thing, certainly God didn't choose Nero. I'll go all the way back to Israel's first king. And Israel's first king was Saul, and God made it clear, this is not my king. He gave the people the king they demanded. They wanted tall. They wanted good-looking. They wanted a guy who was head and shoulders above everybody else. And they wanted to be like the other nations. God relented by allowing them. But remember, David was always his king. God gave them the king he deserves. Now, that's an important statement, Debbie, because what we get in this world is the government we deserve. If you read through the, the, the lists of the kings, go to uh, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, uh, 80% of the kings were bad ones. Now, God knew who they were, and they all fell into line, but they were bad kings. Now, that's not God's fault. So your, your question about whether or not God is powerful enough is sort of a moot point because God's powerful enough to do anything and God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. But Donald Trump was not according to God's plan. God knew, of course, that President Trump would be the winner of the election. But God didn't vote for him. You said in your email if he wanted someone else, um, he would have successfully put them in that position. But, but that's not how God interacts with humanity. God gives us what we deserve. And certainly if a president was placed by God, let's just say God went on the campaign trail and said, well, I vote for this guy, I want this guy. Uh, and that, that man or woman was elected. Well, we, we'd certainly have a godly man or woman, wouldn't we? This is what we need to understand. And this is, Debbie, one of the reasons that I talked yesterday about the Church of Jesus Christ, the Evangelical Church of Jesus Christ, especially in the West, has become so politicized that we have convinced ourselves that every time a Republican wins, he's our big hope. God has prevailed. And that's simply not the case. It's simply not the case. So that's a misunderstanding of the Romans 13 passage. And um, truth is, a lot of things happen in this world that are anti the God who is sovereign over sinners and believers, your words. So I have no problem with your view of God's sovereignty. But, but if you think God is involved in our political process then you don't understand the passages of Scripture at all. So I give God glory. I mean, the fact that we're still a nation after the presidents that we've had. But, Debbie, here's what you have to understand. Donald Trump, and I want him to be saved more than anybody. I pray for him daily. I pray for our senators, our congressmen. I pray for our... Our, our, our governors, I pray for our local leaders, mayors and otherwise. I want them to be saved. That's the only thing that matters. Donald Trump, while feigning to be a believer, 
There's not a single bit of fruit coming from his life. This is not the man that God chose. God simply gives us in his sovereignty self-determinant rule. And 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 Debbie, lest you think I'm a, a flaming Democrat or liberal, I want you to understand I'm a very, very conservative man um, politically. I'm glad President Trump won the election. I want to say that again. I'm glad he won the election. The alternative would have been absolutely beyond words horrible. But you know, whenever somebody calls and says, well, we finally got a Christian in the White House. Remember the last public Christian we had in the White House was Jimmy Carter. Nobody said that about him. No Christian said that about him. George Bush was a, George Bush 43 was a Christian. At least that's what he claimed. But we didn't get Christ-like rule. And we're certainly not getting it with Donald Trump. Now, again, I am grateful for the things that President Trump has done. And again, I want to say I'm glad that he won the election is in the office. However, when we see him carrying a Bible through the streets, when we see him with Christian leaders, Christian spiritual advisors, Paula White, for example, it's embarrassing and we who are believers need to be honest. Where's the fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Has President Trump demonstrated any of those things? He has not. Has he changed even a little bit since he came into office? I had somebody tell me, well, he let... Um, uh, Israel reestablished their capital in Jerusalem. Well, so God can move the pieces for sure. But doing good things doesn't make one a Christian. So, Debbie, um, I hope that makes sense to you as you exegete the passage of Scripture. But you need to stop thinking. We who are Christians need to stop thinking that God has a man or woman in these elections. He does not. And in fact, he asks us to be obedient to whoever is put into that office. I'm sure you wouldn't blame God for Barack Obama. I'm sure you wouldn't blame God for Adolf Hitler. Um, This world is ruled in darkness. And God's sovereignty is going to be demonstrated when Jesus returns and cleans this world up once and for all. So, Debbie, again, I have no... Uh, I, I'm, I'm completely open to, to people asking questions or, mis- or, or, or not understanding what I said. But just be careful. When you said that uh, what I said today is false teaching and with exclamations point, give God his glory, um, this program... Uh, my Bible teaching has been nothing but giving God his glory for a whole bunch of years now. So, Debbie, I hope that shares, at least you, you understand my heart a little bit now. Here is a question from Nacho in our email inbox. He said, can you comment on Luke chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, and what Jesus says about Zacchaeus? My view is that I believe that Jesus makes a real distinction between being saved and being a Jew, showing us that it is by his grace and not by birth or association to a certain religious group that we can be saved. Also, also I think that Jesus shows the exemption to the exception rather to the rule as he spoke about in Luke chapter 18:24 speaking about the rich young ruler. Let me read Luke chapter 19 and then trying to make sense of the question. Jesus said to him, this is Jesus speaking to uh, Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to the house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Um, uh, Jesus' whole ministry, Nacho, was making distinction between the Jews uh, who were unsaved and the sinners who were saved. Remember the parable, uh, I tell you the truth, this man went home 
or went to his home justified rather than the other, and the other was a religious man, the one who was, who was praying, thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Um, the, 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 the sinner was, oh, God, forgive me, sinner, wouldn't even dare to look up to heaven. And because he repented, Jesus said he's the one who went home justified. So his whole ministry was making a distinction, Nacho, between uh, Jews who believed that just by virtue of being a Jew that they were saved and um, between those who were sinners. Jesus was always being criticized by the religious people for hanging out with sinners, for eating at the table of of, uh, of tax collectors, for, for having women who they would describe as having loose morals come and, and um, um, wash his feet. Oh, if you knew what kind of woman this was, kind of thing. So he was always making that distinction. And, um, you know, being a Jew doesn't get somebody to heaven any more than going to church gets somebody to heaven. It's really, really being born again. He said the same thing to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. So I hope that helps you. Nacho, thank you very, very much for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's another question. It says in Luke nineteen forty-one through 44, uh, is Jesus implying that besides being able to be spiritually saved, there was a possibility that Jews could be physically saved from the eventual Roman attack on Jerusalem in 70 A.D.? Uh, this is the passage of Scripture. I love this passage of Scripture. Uh, it says that Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city. He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. And here's the key sentence, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Um, not, this is another Nacho question. Nacho, these, these um, um, uh, questions about uh, could they have been saved physically from Rome? Um, you know, it's like saying, well, if somebody would have accepted Jesus the first time, um, could they have been saved in spirits and trouble? Of course, the answer to those questions is yes. But you see, what Jesus is doing here is prophesying. His heart is breaking. He weeps over the city um, because they've rejected him, because he knows now these things are going to happen. Now, he knew it all along, of course. But this isn't one of those things like, wow, they could have been saved. Now, there were people, interestingly, historically, there were people who who remembered these these uh, these words of Jesus, you know, uh, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, and in particular the temple in 70 AD, was only about 38 years after Jesus uttered these words. And there were still some people alive who remembered his words, and when they saw the city being surrounded, Josephus writes that they uh, were able to escape, they were able to get away. Most of the people had forgotten or didn't, didn't even care to remember. And, of course, they were utterly devastated as a result of, of uh, the Roman general Titus's destruction upon the city and the people. But Jesus knew that this was going to happen. Could they have been saved physically? Yeah, all they do is accept Jesus when he came the first time. If they would do that, then there would be no problem. But they didn't, and Jesus knew they wouldn't. So this nacho was nothing more than uh, a prophecy, uh, Jesus predicting what was going to happen. Let's go to a phone call. We've got on the phone Ron, Ron from Mason County on line one. Ron, thanks for calling. You're on the air. I'd like to go back to your discussion on the authority a little bit. I like where you're taking it. But put it in context of Isaiah predicting King Cyrus and Isaiah 45 or wherever that was. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's a lot of people that talk about Trump being uh, God's current Cyrus. Will you address that <laughs> one, please? Yeah, Ron, I will. I had a question on this a couple of months ago. Uh, there's, there's actually, uh, people have minted little 
cheap coin replicas with with Cyrus's picture on one side and and Donald Trump's picture on the other side. Uh, Donald Trump is not Cyrus reincarnated. He's not Cyrus uh, in in fulfillment of a, of an earlier picture. I think something we got to remember, and this especially for all of the Christians who so desperately want our president to be a believer. I do. I really do. But. But there's just no evidence at all, no fruit whatsoever. Uh, Cyrus was not a, a believer. Cyrus is in hell, though he was a servant of God, just like the devil is a servant of God. Um, so, yeah, uh, because uh, well, Trump's our 45th president. It's Isaiah 45, and the prophecies of Cyrus are there. That was, by the way, uh, um, more than 100 years before Cyrus was even born. But um, there's no connection at all. One of the things, Ron, that people try to do, um, and and these are extreme nationalists, and and there's nothing wrong with being a patriot. So let me define terms. A patriot is somebody who's proud of their country, uh, someone who serves their country sacrificially, uh, somebody who's obedient, a good citizen. Those are the things that we're supposed to be as believers. But to be a nationalist, um, and and I, I think... There's some nationalism that's good. Um, you know, American president, and Donald Trump has done this well. He said, you know, America first. Well, that's because we're to watch out for our own interests. Um, but, but sometimes our nationalism goes over the top. And I think sometimes we in the West in particular, we sort of think that the world begins and ends with us. You know, the United States, the greatest country in the world. And so certainly we're going to be a major player in the end times. There's not a single mention, not even a hint nor implication of the United States of America in the end time scenario. And, Ron, I can only think of two reasons that that would be. One is that, like Rome, you know, Rome was never defeated militarily. Uh, Rome just sinned itself uh, out of, of um, the world picture. They just ceased to become a nation uh, that, that had any input at all. They, they became insignificant. Well, I think that's the, the, the track that we're headed on, Ron. I hate to be a... Uh, negative about this, but but it, it looks to me like the United States, so blessed by God, we had a, a, a role in God's plan. That plan was Israel had to be here in 1948 to reestablish uh, in the land that God had given them. The United States, without us, that May Day in 1948 never would have occurred. Well, here we are. Presidents before President Trump started giving away Israeli land, started turning their backs on Israel. Our last president before Trump was was really one who was at worst an Israel hater, at best somebody who just didn't care and wanted to barter away all of their land that only God can truly give away. And I think the United States has forfeited that blessing. We're no longer a nation that allows God in our hearts or in our administrations. I think we're sinning ourselves, rebelling against God, and we're going to become obscure. The only other explanation for the United States, Ron, not being an end times prophecy is is that there's one more huge move of God's Spirit. This is what I'm praying for. And when the rapture of the church happens, the United States will be so filled with Christians that we'll all be out of here, and I hope that's the case. doesn't appear to be headed that direction, but I am praying and doing what I can and talking to people about Jesus. I pray that that's the, the case. But whatever we know, we know that the United States does not figure into the end times prophecy. So, Ron, thank you for the question. You know, Jonathan Kahn is a book, um, and I'm having a brain fade right now, the name, but it's he, he says that God had a covenant with only two nations in the history of the world, Israel and the United States, and uh, the Harbinger. 
is the is the book. And um, um, I, I would get so many people who would call and say, what about the Harbinger? You've read it. You've got to read it. This is probably, it's not. It's just a bunch of nonsense. God never made a covenant with the United States. Not ever. And that means we're not going to be here in the end times. I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus, Ron. You're going to be in heaven with Jesus. And I hope everybody who's listening to this program today will also be. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program today. Whatever's on your heart or mind, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. That's 5757. This is the Word to Stand On For Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Tuesday show, 340-9585. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, Pastor Ron, I think we should be performing the same kind of miracles that Jesus did. He said we would do greater works than he did, so why don't we see those kinds of miracles? Uh, Anonymous, here's another case of bad exegesis. Jesus didn't say that we would do greater miracles in terms of quality. But what he was talking about, now remember, and you've always got to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to his disciples. Not to you, not to me. He was talking to his disciples And he said they would do greater works. And the idea there is quantity, not quality. Think about this, Anonymous. Jesus um, had roughly 120 followers when he died. They were the ones in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Uh, On the first day of the church, first day of the Pentecost Sunday, 3,000 people got saved. 3,000. And of course, the, the apostles did miracles. Acts chapter 2. And many miracles and signs and wonders were done by the apostles, validating his ministry. So he's talking about quantity, not quality. Now let's use our minds for just a minute. Let's be logical. Jesus walked on water. You see anybody walking on water? Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus healed entire cities. Can you imagine anybody today doing those kind of miracles? Well, obviously the answer is no. Now, I do believe, Anonymous, that God would do some miracles if we would understand what their purpose was and live our lives in such a way that God could use us to do them. I mean, are we seeing people walking in holiness? I don't think so. You know, we go to these crazy charismatic churches. I am a charismatic but when churches are out of control, they're claiming all these miracles and pretending like legs are being stretched and falling backwards and being pinned to the floor, that kind of nonsense. Those aren't miracles. We wouldn't know a real miracle that bit us in the nose. So the truth is that those kind of miracles are unique to Jesus. Nobody before, nobody since has done those kind of things. You didn't see the Apostle Paul walk on water. You didn't see Paul rise from the dead on the third day after being killed, nor Peter. So understand, because he said something to his disciples, we can't make the illogical leap that says, well, those are his disciples, I'm his disciple, so I should be doing those miracles. 
again, I want to emphasize that I believe with all of my heart that we would see some miraculous works if we were really concerned about walking with the Lord in personal holiness, really, really willing to live sacrificially for His glory alone. Hope that answers your question. Here is a phone call from Philip on line one from San Antonio. Philip, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I, uh, Hi, Philip. My, my problem is kind of, it's hard to say. Um, I am bipolar, manic depressant. I, uh, we stopped going to church a long time ago, and that didn't help. I'm untreated. Um, I, I couldn't get treatment for my condition because uh, pain medication that I was on would con- counteract it. I tried getting off the pain medication. I couldn't. Uh, I'm not trying to blame it on my condition, but I did. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't treat my wife the way she should be treated. Uh, we split up. Right? We split up. I wound up being with a woman. I hurt my wife. I filed for divorce. The minute I, we got the divorce, I knew I, I made a mistake. Since then, I've been trying to win her back. Uh, about... Six weeks ago, uh, I tried to take my life. Uh, mm. I same thing. I I've repented and uh, I've given my life to Christ. I've I've gone back to church uh, when I can because I, I work a lot. I've uh, gone to counseling. I go into therapy. I'm currently detoxing from my medication so I can get on. Uh, medication for bipolar and depression. I've uh, I've done everything I can to change, and um, but I, I I still cannot get um, out of this out of the depression. Out of I, yep. I can't get her. I constantly think about her. Uh, we we try to uh, talk, you know, as friends. Uh, our kids are already grown, but still live with her, and I'll go and I'll visit. But I, I, I tell her daily how much I love her and how sorry I am. I just can't move on. And she tells me daily to move on and that we're not going to get back together. And my question is, if I pray and pray and pray, how come God will not take her out of my heart so I can move on and stop hurting so bad? Because I I hate myself, and I constantly want to just kill myself, and I pray for God to just take it away from me, and every night it's a constant battle. Every night, I I fight not to hurt myself. Even last night, I was trying to cut open one of my veins, and I couldn't. I couldn't mm-hmm. cut deep enough. And every night, I fight and I fight and I pray and I read the Bible, and it won't go away. And I don't know what to do. Okay, Philip, I want you to listen really closely, okay? And and um, not just me, but lots and lots of people are going to be praying for you now. Um, you know that God loves you. That's what, what drove you back to Jesus. And he's going to have his people praying for you. And And I say that because I want you to understand that you have what you need to fight this fight. You have what you need to fight this fight. The first thing I want to say to you is that you're in a position where you can't afford not to be in church. If you're working too much that you can't be in regular fellowship with your church, then you're, you're working more than God wants you to be. You're, you're, you're putting yourself in a place of isolation, uh, a place where the enemy is going to be keep pounding over and over and over. And whenever you can't get something out of your heart, uh, whenever you have these destructive thoughts, these impulses, um, that's the enemy. 
the enemy of your souls, when you said just a moment ago that you gave your life to Jesus, you repented, you have to understand then you're not your own. You're bought with the price. What that means, Philip, is that you have no right to take your life. You have no right to hurt yourself. Your body belongs to God. And you've got to offer it to him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, in view of all that he's done for you, You've got to offer your body to God as a living sacrifice. He wants your body alive so that he can use you. And when you get that, then his presence with you will produce so much joy. Now, it won't take away all of your problems. Your wife probably still isn't going to have you back. But, but see, you can't come back to Jesus so that you'll get your wife back. You come to Jesus because of what he's done for you, because of the offer he's made you of new life. I also want, and again, Philip, I don't know where in San Antonio you live, but um, I'm going to ask you to make, a, make an appointment with our doctors at Malta Medical. Um, uh, it's free, won't cost you a thing, and they'll give you some help in, in getting you off the pain medication so that uh, you can take the medication that you need for your bipolar disorder. Uh, when people are are uh, uh, bipolar, uh, manic depression, it's called, as well. Um, they need to be medicated. You know, it's just, it's just a part of your body that's not working normally, uh, and medication helps it. It would be like um, uh, some, another part of your body's not working, so you take some medication so that you can, you can use your hand or you can use your foot. Uh, well, the same thing is true. If you have a chemical imbalance, and that's what bipolar disorder is, if you have a chemical imbalance, then medication will balance the imbalance. And you have an obligation to God to take it. And that's really, really important. If I were you and I had to choose, I would want my mind functioning more than my body. So if that meant I was going to get off the pain meds so that my mind could work right, I could protect it against the lies of the enemy, then that's what I would do. And you really need to understand this is a battle for your life. The enemy comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. And he's trying to destroy you. You cannot be passive in this. I'm grateful that you're reading your Bible and I'm grateful that you're praying. But, and please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, I want you to read and I want you to pray, but I want you more to hang out with Jesus. And those nights alone, when you have those destructive thoughts, if, if you're hanging out with Jesus, if you're closer to him than you are to the, the lies of the enemy, then you're going to be able to fight because he's going to do the fighting for you. So make the focus of your life the person of Jesus Christ, not what you need him to do for you or what you hope he'll do for you, restoring your family. But instead, Jesus, I blew it. You took me back. And, and, and now I know there's greater days ahead. I want to walk with you, and I want to be there for you. I want to be there with you. And when, when that happens, Philip, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not your joy, it's His joy. And it means that even in your sadness, even in the, 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 the bipolar condition that you have, even there... There'll be fullness of joy, not happiness, but joy. And God will give you a strength that you don't possess. I think part of the problem, Philip, is you're trying to fight uh, an enemy who's infinitely stronger than you, and you're trying to do it in your own strength. When Paul says that we've got to fight in the mighty power of God. So please call Malta Medical. Tell them that you're a caller to the radio show. I asked you to call. And, and make an appointment for them to come see you. Again, it won't cost you a penny. And then, wherever it is you go to church, Philip, make sure that you're involved. Start serving others instead of thinking about yourself. And I promise you things will change. I wish I could promise you, Philip, that your wife would take you back. But you blew it. There's consequences. Maybe she never will. Here's what I know for sure. If there's any chance that she's ever going to want to come back to you, it's going to happen only when you're walking with Jesus. 
and you're looking up instead of out. That's so important, Philip. Be in the Word, be in prayer, but most important, just hang out with Jesus. Philip, we're going to be praying for you. Uh, In the meantime, I would appreciate, as a personal favor, uh, when you call uh, Malta Medical and make an appointment, you show up down there, tell them to let me know that you showed up, and I'd like to talk with you and and maybe we can we can spend a little bit of time together when the appointment's over. Um, there's plenty of help, but you need to be in a church. You need to be in fellowship. Don't let the enemy isolate you. Um, one other comment you made, and then I'll have to end this call, Philip. You said that you're going to therapy. I don't know what kind of therapy you're going to, um, but what you need is Christian counseling not psychology, not psychiatry. You need Christian counseling. And um, it's the word, the word, the word, applied in your life. That's all Christian counseling is. And if you're going to a secular therapist, um, he or she is going to make things worse than they were before. So, Philip, God bless you. Lots and lots of people are now praying for you. Remember, God loves you. He has a plan for your life. And he will walk with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David wrote. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And I always use King James when I do that, because there's just something powerful to me about, for thou art with me. He's with you, Philip, and he loves you, and his arms are extended to you. I'm going to pray for you, Philip, and then we'll have to move on. Father, we lift Philip to you now. And as for the supernatural power of God to rest upon him, and then come from him to others. Jesus, help him to focus on you, not on his condition, not on his pain, not on his loneliness. And remember that you're a father to the fatherless. Wrap your arms around him and let him know he's going to be well. Thank you, Philip. Amen. While I was praying, I think the Lord spoke to my heart about Song of Solomon. Philip, would you also read and do it today? Read the Song of Solomon. Um, it, it won't take you long. Just the parts that are titled Lover. That's Jesus speaking directly to you. Just read those parts. It'll take you maybe six, seven, eight minutes. Read it several times. And let Jesus lavish his love on you. Thank you, Philip. We're praying. Oh, my goodness. Pain, pain, pain. 340-9585. Here's a question from Richie. Um, Why does it seem that God is so different in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Um, Richie, he's not at all different. And and if you read carefully, he doesn't even seem like he's different. You want to read about the, the campaign in Canaan under Joshua. Um, you want to read New Testament version of that? Read Revelation chapter 19. That's Jesus himself. So I think we have this sort of false image of Jesus being this nice, meek lamb who died for the sins of the world and he's ready to pour out grace, but we forget he is a holy, consuming fire of holiness. We live in a time that minimizes his holiness. And yet this is the same God that lives in unapproachable light. And he's with us always, just like he was with Israel in the Exodus wilderness. He's with us. He's with us in the good. He's with us in the bad. But yes, Jesus came to save the world, but the truth is he is so holy and just that God has to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world because there's no answer for their sins. Richie, far too often we, we sort of look at forgiveness of sins as God just kind of patting us on top of that and saying, it's okay, I won't hold those things against you. No, we've got to truly repent. And if you look at the cross, it was God's wrath, the same wrath that you read in the, the, the Canaan campaign. That wrath was poured out on Jesus for you and for me. 
through God from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 is exactly the same. He changes not. The difference is that you and I, because of the time that we've been placed by God, we know that some 2,000 years ago Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. And we can talk about a message of grace. We can talk about forgiveness. The Old Testament, they didn't understand it. But we do. Same God. Same attributes. God's not mad. God's not waiting for us to mess up. God is waiting for us to come to Him and surrender our hearts. Daniel asks, why is Christianity the only right religion? Um, Daniel, I, I always mention this, Christianity is not a religion. I understand the world says that it's a world religion, but Christianity is a relationship, and the difference is infinite. And that's also the answer to why we're the only right way, the only way to heaven. It's because every other religion, and I'm talking about some who even proclaim to be Christians, Every other religion depends on what we do. Um, Muslims, Buddhists, Hare Krishna, Baha'i. It's all about what we do. We, we work and we work and we work to make ourselves acceptable to God. That's what religion is. It's man's attempt to work his way to God. So somehow God will accept me. But God never accepts us. What we have to do is repent and then he comes and lives in us. And because Jesus is the only answer for sins, there's no other world religion, Daniel, no other world religion that will get us to heaven. We remember Job in the middle of his deepest despair, crying out, if only there were a man to stand between me and God, what he was saying is, look, I, I'd like to be able to go, but, but he's so holy, he's so much higher than I am. I can never reach up to God. If only there were a man, he said, to help me. And that would later lead to the revelation, I know that my Redeemer lives. And I will stand with him on that day. Well, that's the man. Jesus is the man. Um, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, Joseph Smith, Charles Taze Russell. None of them can bridge the gap. Only Jesus did because only Jesus lived a perfect sinless life validated, of course, by his resurrection from the dead. How time was? Nope. Probably not time for a phone call, so I'll just go to the next question. Uh, last question for today is from Regina. Pastor Ron, why is it that some people don't get healed. Regina, if you look around, the truth is that almost nobody gets healed. I mean, we all die, even those who are faith and prosperity teachers. You know, if you just have enough faith, God will have to heal you. Just name it and claim it. Well, they all die. They're all getting older. They all need glasses. Their hair is getting grayer. The truth is, most people don't get healed. And I think that reframes the question to give you a little bit of perspective. Um, you know, we think that, that if you have enough faith, you're going to get healed. That's because we've been taught bad teaching. Let me also use this opportunity, Regina, to plug my Bible study this coming Friday. And you can go back to the last Friday night Bible study, Second uh, Peter chapter 2, the most terrible chapter, I think, in the New Testament. And it deals with false teachers. And so, Regina, if you've been sold a bill of goods that, that all you got to do is believe enough and you're going to get healed, the Apostle Paul didn't get healed. Even Jesus himself asked if this cup could pass. And his father said no three times. None of the apostles were healed from what ultimately killed them. So the truth is that most people don't get healed. If you're in a church that teaches that if you just believe, have enough faith, God will heal you. 
It's not God's will for anybody to be sick. You need to run, Regina, get out of that church. You need to get out of that church now. Read your Bible. Find out who Jesus is. Figure out the real promises he's made. And Regina has nothing to do with miraculous healing. I sit here, a 69-year-old man. My first word every morning is, ouch. But you know what? God gives me the strength to get up and serve. And when you're serving him, and the power of the Holy Spirit is upon you and coming through you, you're going to find out exactly what God's purpose for you is. Most people don't get healed. So change your sum to most. And the reason God doesn't heal is because, well, we live in a fallen world and we're all wearing away. Outwardly, Paul says, we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day in the image of God. I like that, Regina, because what it means is that we're becoming more and more like Jesus every single day. Good questions today. Well, we're at the end of today's program. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Please be praying for our nation, for our cities, for our police officers. Pray for those who are hurting um, Mr. Floyd's family. Please. Third wedding, I'll see you tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Well,